Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Hey guys, this is Asian Pop Nation on Sin, and this is your EP, Jesse. You guys just heard Honeycomb by Ayumu Amazu. And before that, you guys heard Look at My Shoes by Chan and Shirt. And this week, we are in studio, which you might be able to tell by the crisp, clear quality of our audio. Yay! That's very right. (laughs) (laughs) So today, we will be joined by Tracy, Ethan, Leisha, Lee, Zenya, and Tharuki. (laughs) Just highs all around. In today's show, we will be talking about some interesting segments. Um, Some are a bit controversial and some are a bit more chill. Uh, Leisha will firstly be talking about her recent obsession with Trigun that JP got her into. Oh, no. oh <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> and then um, quite a few of our APN members have seen the new Spider-Verse movie, namely Ethan, Leisha, and Lee. I think Zenya and Zenya as well. And they will be giving their thoughts about that. And we will be doing a spoiler-free review in the radio version. But if you guys want to hear the podcasted spoiler review version, definitely make sure to check out our podcast version on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Now, and then also we will be covering some recent controversy regarding EXO and SM Entertainment, which... um, I'm sure some of us will have much more to say about that than I do right now. Um, We will also be sharing some of our recent books that we've read from Asian Australian authors or books that are based on Asian lore and legends. And as a final little segment to end things off on a fun note, we will be talking about some of our childhood Asian snacks that we have been obsessed with. But you know what else is fun? Supporting Sin and (laughs) APN as a whole. If you guys like all the awesome content that we put out on a weekly basis and you would like to support Sin, make sure to pay for your sins this Radiothon. Uh, Between the May 22nd and June 11th, we are asking you to pay for your sins and keep Sin on the airwaves. Help us hit $50,000 and head to syn.org.au to donate. All donations above $2 are tax deductible and puts you into the raffle to win one of three amazing prize packs. Now, some of these prizes include clothing from Homie Streetwear, vouchers for Vic Market Tattoos, voucher for Heartland Records, movie tickets at the Sun Theatre, issues of literary journal VoiceWorks, starter packs for the Melbourne Electronic Sound Studio, plus many more, all kindly donated by local NAM businesses and organisations. Your donation will directly support media training and radio opportunities for young people like us and amplify the music, culture and news that matters to young Australians. Keep sin on your airwaves and online. Donate now at syn.org.au and a huge thank you to everyone who's already donated. Now, before we leave you off um, and before we jump into our next little segment, we will be playing a few more songs for you guys, starting off with Hirune no Kuni or The Land of the Naps by Child Spot. Hey 
everyone. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. It is I, Leisha, one of your fellow team members here on APN. And just now, you heard these songs. Firstly, Bon Voyage by Dreamcatcher. But way before that, we also played the song titled Hirune no Kuni by Child Spot, as well as this song titled Presence by Tomori Kuzunoki. And fun fact, apparently she's the voice actress for Makima from Chainsaw Man. So all the anime enthusiasts are probably like screaming, crying, throwing up about this information. And I guess this is a very perfect segue into what I'm going to be talking about for the very first segment. You poor souls are going to have to hear me just talk (laughs) about this. (laughs) Basically, I think you guys, if you're a regular source of APN, you would typically think like Senya, JP, Lee, Jesse, even like you guys are usually the people talking about like the latest manga, the latest webtoon, the latest animes that have been coming out. Um, But... This time, it's going to be me. (laughs) It's going to be me talking about a show that has... It has taken over my entire life. A chokehold, literally. A little (laughs) chokehold, yeah. Lee has been, like, front and center in the (laughs) impact because (laughs) she's just a person that, um, unfortunately, it's it's front front line of my fire when it comes to talking about this show. And what show am I specifically talking about? It is Trigun! Woo! Essentially, I'll explain a little story about why we're talking about this. Because if any of you guys have any context of Trigun, you may be thinking, why is Leisha talking about an anime that came out in 1998, um, currently in 2023? Well, I would say around two, three weeks ago, we did a very chaotic segment about a very specific (laughs) internet phenomena that happened with a certain Twitter user who basically they were like a big fan account of Trigun. And since that segment, I have A, followed that account, and B, experienced and seen all the stuff that they share. And a lot of it is very beautiful fan art of Trigun. And I thought, hey, why not I finally give this show a try? So I went on the route of watching the 1998 version of Trigun first because I am unfortunately not a manga reader, but I do want to be a reader full stop. And now I'm here talking about it on APN just so I could gush about how much I loved Tricard. But I guess, I don't know, for some of you guys, do you have any like initial questions about it? I figured the main one in particular is, yes, Lee, yes. Oh. I just wanted to ask, like, why did you start watching the 1999 one and not the one that just came out recently, Mm. like the remake? Yes, that is true. They are two different anime adaptations for Trigun. I think the manga came out... I mean, the anime came out in 1998, the original one. The manga came out, like, way, way before that as well. And there currently, yes, there are two anime adaptations, Trigun and Trigun Stampede, which came out this year. Wow! And I decided to watch Trigun, the 1998 version, first because I I heard a lot from some of my friends who have already seen both series and a lot of stuff um, in the 1998 version. There's a lot of specific plot points. I can probably spoil it because this show came out in 1998, guys. It's it's old. <laughs> the spoiler, like keeping it spoiler free, it's already past its prime. I'm sorry. I'm gonna spoil. I'm gonna spill all the beads. Okay. Before I do that, though, I probably should explain what Trigun even is in the first place. And essentially, the show, the manga in general, it was the original manga was created by. Yasuhiro Night Owl, and people would define the manga 
as a space western genre. So think like Cowboy Bebop specifically. I think a lot of people compare like the two together since they both came out around like the same time, have very similar, um, I guess, uh, they not themes, but they have like they're set in the same environment and stuff like that. But I think they both are divert very quickly in terms of like what themes and stuff they're exploring. Basically, in Trigon, you follow this character named Vash the Stampede. He is... Oh, he's a precious... <laughs> he's, he's just a precious little guy to me. But essentially, what you find from the show immediately is that this guy has a $60 billion, double dollar in the, in the anime specifically, a $60 billion bounty on him. And you kind of go into it not knowing why exactly. The anime starts out with him, like, with random people in the town literally going, like, oh, he's, like, a menace, like, not menace, but he's he's killed people, he's a womanizer, he's the humanoid typhoon is what everyone calls him. Basically, destroying cities and destroying lives type of thing. But then two seconds later, you see Vash the Stampede, and he's the biggest loser of all time. <laughs> His whole thing is like, basically he's a pacifist. You find out very quickly he does not want to kill anyone. He does have the skills of like being a really, really good like gunman, but he does not actually kill anyone. And in the whole series, you basically are kind of exploring his whole like pacifist route and stuff. And he gets challenged a lot by like other characters and scenarios. And it's just very, very cool um, and really interesting the way that they explored that. And it's just, oh my God, I love him so much. I love Bash so much. He is like to me, it. Even though this show came out in 998 and I only watched it like this year, I feel like I've never seen a protagonist like him before. He's so adamant about like the whole not killing thing and he carries such like a goofy personality, but at the same time he has so much hurt from his past and it's just all meld up together into this amazing protagonist. And that's probably one of the main reasons I love, love this guy. Oh my god, he's amazing. And for a 1998 anime as well, the animation when it comes to like any of the fight scenes and stuff is spectacular, I will say. It gets even better when you watch Trigon Stampede, which came out this year. Because Trigon Stampede uses like fully CGI animation. It's done by uh, like Studio Orange. And if you guys know a little bit about anime world and stuff, they've done works like Land of Lustrous, which I think some anime people deem as like one of the top tier CGI animations like out there in the anime realm. So the fact that they worked on Trigon Stampede. Ooh, you can just tell. Like, I've only, I've only started watching Trigon Stampede because I'm mourning over Trigon first. But the animation, oh my god, it's so good. And yeah, but the 998 version is, for the, its time, so, so good. Any shot of him with his gun, I'm like, whoa, this guy is amazing. Um... <laughs> And yeah, I guess I just wanted to come here to just gush about how much I love Trigun and I understand why it's such a pinnacle anime for people who got into anime back in like the early 2000s or if they watched it right when it came out in 1998. Like I get now why is it such a pivotal part in people's like upbringing and stuff into getting into anime. 
again, I just find Vash is just such a unique, like, such a likable character, but he has so much pain, guys. It's, like, very... I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying watching this. If you ever want to watch Trigun, I would recommend also going in the route that I did, which was watching the 998 version and then Stampede later, because Trigun, the 998 version... Um, has a lot of plot points and stuff that they take episodes to build upon. It's 26 episodes in the original one. But there's, like, certain plot lines involving, like, Vash's brother and stuff like that that they take a long time to get into. Whereas in Trigon Stampede, it's on the first episode. <laughs> like, they already tell you all about, like, his twin brother knives from, like, the first episode already. And you're like, oh, okay. So some of the mystery might be lost if you go watch... Stampede first and then Trigun later. But again, if you're somebody who really, really needs that high-end new CGI animation, you can watch Stampede. It's fine. <laughs> and I guess, I think for some people, the question in their mind, maybe some of you guys here as well, the question in your mind would be like, oh, Alicia, why would you want to watch like Stampede when you've already seen Trigun? Isn't it like they're just retelling the exact same story? incorrect <laughs> so when the 1998 version came out the manga was still ongoing so a lot of the stuff that the anime like the episodes that they were doing i guess they were kind of like spitballing or like guessing or kind of giving a guesstimation of how they think things were gonna go so some plot points were like not not explored like at all whereas now with Dragon Stampede since it came out this year and the manga has long been finished they really can explore so much more on like the world and stuff which oh my god it's so good oh. and apparently I heard that the original like manga artist um, was, like, a part of the production for Trigon Stampede specifically, and he wanted Trigon Stampede to not be a complete retelling of the 998 version nor the manga because he saw it as an opportunity to explore plots that he never got to explore with the manga. So I was like, ooh! That's so cool. <laughs> That's just so cool. And I just love it, guys. Like, please, if you have... If, if you're looking for something to watch, maybe you want, like, a little throwback moment, please watch Trigun. I'm not even that big of an anime girl. Again, I mentioned I'm not the main anime source here at APN, but I love this i love this show so much and i cannot wait to finish stampede and i can't wait to read the manga oh, in the future who knows how long that will take considering my reading speed but yes thanks y'all and by y'all i mean my team here for listening to me talk about tricon all this time and thank you dear listener for also joining me on this journey please watch trigun trigun stampede just watch it all Oh my gosh. And again, thanks for joining my little party. And we're going to move on to the next song that we have on APN. And like I mentioned, you're going to have a blast and a little party listening to Trigun. Not listening. Watching Trigun. You, this way fitting very nicely with the next song that we're going to be playing right now. Titled Kong, which comes from the Taiwanese band called No Party for Chao Dong. And once again, you're listening to Asia Pop Nation right here on Sin. Make sure to pay for your sins. We are running a very special radiothon here on Sin. So make sure to donate now on syn.org.au forward slash donate. And let's get to the song. <laughs> Thanks you all for coming. Uh, well, you just heard No Party for Chao Dong, their song Kong. Uh, and after that, we played Atomic Skippers, Kokoro, and Rock 
Shoku Shakai's Pink Blue, all some pretty awesome rock hits from these bands in Taiwan and Japan. And speaking of Pink Blue, um, we're going to talk a little bit about someone who is Red Blue, um, and that is Spider-Man, our favorite Asian superhero. <laughs> hey, yeah. and, and this movie, it, it, your statement is half true. <laughs> but yeah, the reason we bring it up is one, to find an excuse to talk about the latest movie, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, but also because I feel like the journey that Miles is going through is sort of one that a lot of people can relate, especially if you're from an immigrant background or a different ethnic background so yeah we split this up for those who haven't seen the movie yet i know it just came out um we'll keep a brief spoiler free review at the beginning and then later on we'll just go in all in so just switch off to another radio channel and then come back like you know in five six minutes time i'm sure it's going to be longer but (laughs) just block your ears um yeah does anyone want to start with what they thought about it, how did it compare to the first one? Should people be excited? Oh, oh wow. Okay, so from the get go here, after like a day, Alicia, it changed your life, right? It... <laughs> Maybe it did. I after so I think for all of us here, we watched it on the day that it came out. So by the time this airs, it'll be last week Thursday, and after seeing it and then having a day to marinate on my own, I definitely feel like it is better than the first one. And I don't know how they managed to do that. Like to me, my expectations are very very high. To me, this is like my top animated film of all time the first one specifically so my expectations for the sequel were above and beyond even though i was trying to like not have those sort of expectations in me but whoa this really like it just went above everything i was expecting i think what makes this different from the previous one is there there's so much more um there's a lot of like heartfelt moments Mm. with like Miles with Gwen and even some with like the new characters that you've never seen before in the sequel. I feel like there's so much heartfelt moments which really tugged my heartstrings a lot. Um, and if you have complicated history with your parents, wow, is this one really hard hitting, man? I know me and Liva were watching it together. We were like, I could just hear her like sniffling (laughs) next to me, and I was like, Are you crying, man? I was like tearing up and I was like oh no why am I crying and then like a scene would happen and it would just like the tears would just come down and I'm like oh my god this hits home mm-hmm. but do you but, agree Lee as yeah well? definitely unresolved uh trauma from parents <laughs> but but yeah it's good really heartfelt um like you said but Ethan, what do you what do you think? No, I agree. I Ethan, think that, we want your hot take. No, yeah, I just... don't really have many hot takes. Like the sentimental parts are really good. I think they do the family mm-hmm. dynamics really well. Um, I think in particular with Gwen, the story I thought was really good. Um, I think Miles's story is really present, and there's a lot of good ideas in there. It'll depend on how they take that further. Um, you know, we'll talk about that later, but. Um, I think the animation style is also really good. Like, I know everyone says the Into the Spider-Verse is, like, the pinnacle for what animation has become in the future and how it's, like, um, been used in a lot of other animations, like when you look at Arcane or 
Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Like, a lot of animations have... Or Puss in Boots as well. They've, like, really adopted that new style. But um, Across the Spider-Verse takes that and kind of really, like, dials that to, like, 100 because it's so cool. And you really do see, like, all the different, like, universes and the different styles. Um, especially, like, Gwen Stacy's universe is, like, very artsy, very, like, watercolored, very, like... Like, I don't, like very, like, college arts short film, like, animated short films kind of aesthetic. It's really cool. It's really colourful. Um, and, yeah. What other thoughts did everyone have? It just feels like, I don't know, the film is just feels... Oh, it's, like, such a love story to animation as a whole. And as someone, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I love Spider-Man as, like, a hero on its own. And to me, I yeah, feel like... Ooh, Thanks, <laughs> I feel like with <laughs> this movie in particular, personally, I think Miles and just like this entire animated, I guess, uh, I was going to say trilogy, but that's not spoiler, right? That it's going to be the three. There's another no, it's one. Coming. There's not one coming out. Okay. Mm. That's already no knowledge. Okay. So I guess uh, what I was going to say was that this like, uh, this trilogy in general, I just feel like it is he just embodies and the story I don't know it just embodies perfectly what I love about Spider-Man while also showing like the complexities of like kind of what I guess what he's struggling with I think if you see the trailer you kind of already know he's kind of like he he's internally kind of deciding of like I I want to save like both I don't want to like I don't want to choose one or the other in my hero journey and I want to be my own superhero Miles Morales and what not and oh I just love it so much but yes Senya what what else do you think I feel like we haven't heard your spoiler free opinions yet I think it's a great extension of the themes of the first movie I feel like it's built upon that because the first one was all about expectations right and Miles not really feeling like he can meet the expectations of being Spider-Man, which have been thrust upon him. Yeah. But then by the end of that movie, he sort of meets those expectations and he's sort of found a way to combine his own personality and character with what Spider-Man is as a hero. And then the second movie is so much about, okay, so I'm comfortable with that. Is the rest of the world going to accept me for who I am and I think that was such a, a great way of building on that story of um, like that um, speech his mom gives uh, in the teaser trailer so I'm not spoiling anything <laughs> about protecting you know that little boy that's um, in him especially when the entire world there'll be times in the world where you'll be told that you don't belong here you know to try and find the resolve to say no I do and I think this story was a great way of um yeah exploring that the animation was crazy um I think there was a scene that would definitely be now like the new wallpaper for a lot of people mm, after the first one where he jumps off the building yes yes <laughs> it's like this nice scene not the same level of like excitement like hype but it's sort of like a mellow connection sort of scene and it's like whoa this is amazing and I think that's why animation is so great is imagine doing this in a live action it would feel kind of cringe (laughs) unrealistic (laughs) it wouldn't have I think that sense of awe and amazement and I feel like a lot of what this 
trilogy is exploring is so different to what you know other Spider-Man films have. It's a different kind of hero's journey, and I really liked that. And I thought this was a great follow-up to the first one. So everyone, watch it. Yes. Free review. <laughs> please, please. Yeah, that is that. I think Xenia summed up like it mm. very perfectly to maintain the spoiler freeness of it but i know girl i know you're itching to get into spoiler territory so and i guess if you're listening to the spoiler section hey, welcome to the secret club <laughs> but Zenya, go girl what do you need to say right now that ending man <laughs> miles i was like oh man that twist i loved it but it was like you know how you look at the runtime, it's like, wow, two hours and 40 minutes. It's yeah. going to feel like a long movie. But then by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, my God. L- literally. I need my four or five hour long epic. Mm. I think a lot of people <laughs> so, didn't realize yeah. it was, it was going to be a two-parter. Um, no, 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 no. Like, a lot of people didn't realize it. Like, the people I was watching it with mm. as well didn't know that it was a two-parter. So they freaked out when um, the movie ended, but the story didn't. Yeah. Um, People being me yeah. as well. When I was watching it with Lee, I think Lee, <laughs> Lee already had like such a job, like, okay, yeah. like, they better not end it. And she was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. But I was literally like gripping her arm next to her, being like, no, what? what? Yeah. Was... Well, it was like up to the point where Miles had just gotten home. And then we, oh, I was like, wow, this is like a long movie. And I was thinking, like, how would they wrap this up? Because it's already been, like, two hours. And then I was like, there's no way they're going to make this, like, a cliffhanger. Which I'm really (laughs) sad about. And they did. And they They did. did. Miles, no! Ultimate world where he's the prowler. Oh my gosh. Day ruined, month ruined, year ruined. Um, Like, my poor boy. (laughs) Like, can he... Can you not suffer anymore? I just... Oh my god. Like, I, I was so shocked the whole... Like... If I rewatch it now, I, like, I don't know. I feel like the setup to him finding out that he's in the wrong universe, like, I, I, I don't know. If I rewatch it, I'll be like, oh, okay, like, I can see it. But at the time I was watching the cinema, I could not realize yeah. for the life of me that I was like, oh my god, he's in the wrong universe until literally he said it out loud. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we're in this now. Oh, that was insane. What a plot twist. That was... Ew. Oh my god, it was so bad. Especially, like, when he tells his mom, like, oh, like, I'm Spider-Man. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I just I know. And she's like, ah, oh, ha, ha, ha. Like, she doesn't know who Spider-Man is because she doesn't watch the news. But no, they literally have no Spider-Man. Spider-Man. No. That <gasps> was epic. Oh my yeah. gosh. But... Ah! I just... I... What... What... What is there more in the spoiler realm that y'all oh. want to say? I think I also wanted to touch on the fact that the I um the news that Miles was never meant to be Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think mm. that really hit home as well is that like he not only caused this whole mess in the eyes of Miguel and the rest of the Spider-Man crew, but also the fact that it was a mistake and that he's never meant to be the hero and like how do you deal with that kind of news and i just thought this is such an interesting way of i guess the taking that spider-man journey to becoming a hero to be told no <laughs> you're not you, you are a mistake literally exactly um, i think when me and lee were watching after we're like damn why is miguel like 
this like disappointed parent yeah. moment just being like you were a mistake you should have <laughs> never been da, 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 da. and i was like damn i was finding you attractive but now you're hurting my boy yeah. right now and i can't take it oscar <laughs> isaac how dare you yeah oscar isaac now what's this <laughs> but uh, that that was so ooh that whole scene where they're like doing the train chase and then uh, yeah. miguel says all of that to miles i was like if miles starts crying i'm gonna cry but he held his head Oh my god, and I loved it! His line when he was like, everyone tells me how my story is supposed to end. And he's like, no, I'm gonna choose my own story. That was so cool. I love it. He jumps off the train. He was so sick. (laughs) So sick. I think another line that V and Lee always, we've been talking about it with each other, is um, when he was, I think it was like, oh yeah, Miles was, Basically, he was already in the collider, about to like go home, mm-hmm. and oh then my God. and then it was like all the spider people there, and they're all like Miles, like what, what the hell, da 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 da, and then he was just like he was like I thought we were supposed to be the good guys. Like Gwen said that. Oh, oh, really? Oh yeah, my God, sorry, the memory. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Gwen's like we're supposed to be the good guys. Yeah, and then like and then at the end, bro, he's just like we are, we are. I'm like you are such a loser right now. This yeah. is such a. This but ooh, like that line mm. mainly when they were like, oh, whoa. so it's like because everyone just like was silent, and Miguel de Luzo was like, <laughs> oh my God, we, we are, we are. <laughs> oh my gosh! I also just say in terms of like fictional cities, I love Manhattan so oh, much. Yeah. Crossover of oh, Mumbai and yeah. Manhattan. I love Pravita <laughs> Parker. I don't care. He is so precious to me. It's very funny how his whole thing is just him being like. Spider-Man is so easy. I'm like, I'm like, oh god. I was like, something bad's gonna happen. But psych, he actually has like, well, it diverges from canon, but he mm. has a whole good thing. And I was like, bless your heart. And I know Lee really likes Spider-Punk or oh Ho Ho B specifically. Oh my god, so cool. Oh, Spider-Punk. Yeah, yeah I, I, to be honest, I found it difficult at times to understand what he was saying. Oh, he does yeah. have a very strong, like, British cold. accent. British, yeah, super like against the system. Like when uh, Peter's, oh, when Mayday uh, poops in a diaper in the. Yeah, in the HQ. He was like, he like, what did he do? Did he like fist bump? He's such an anarchist. He's so cool. And then when Miles gets locked up and he was like, use the palms. Yeah, I was like, wow. And then when he gave Gwen the watch, oh my god. He's just so cool. He's so cool. I love love his whole thing of like, he's like part of the crew, but really he's just like, yeah, "Yeah, you all guys trying to get out of the system. I'll help out. And I'm like, you're amazing. I love he's you. He's so cool. And, and I love his animation style. Yes. Like the cut out magazine. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, man. I know, like, everyone when they talk about Spider-Man's, I was like, ooh, yes, the animation is so good. And then people just take that as, like, very, like, oh, okay. Like, but, guys, it's it is, like, amazing. the animation is unlike anything else. Mm. It really is, like, part of the experience of, like, telling, like, it, it's a way to, like, move the story and stuff. It's beyond just, like, ooh, these are pretty colors and whatnot. Like, Gwen's whole thing with her dad, uh, anytime she has, like, that confrontation scene with her dad, the watercolor, like, backgrounds and stuff are so... Like, they're gorgeous, but they're also really, like, very impactful to the story and the conflicts he's having about telling her dad that she's Spider-Gwen. Bro, I'm so... God. <laughs> yeah. God. I loved what he said when I think 
he admitted that he quit being captain and she's like what did you know it's like halfway through your speech yeah. it was like oh oh my god <laughs> it's just this movie i think like oh my god it's just it just has so much heart into it it is like definitely i think the action and stuff a bit more slower getting to it compared to the first one but again it's a se- it's a sequel to build up to the next movie yeah. and i think it does so well in like really uh i guess this humanizing the word people would use like i don't know it's really good at like uh expanding more on like each character and what makes them like who they are mm-hmm. and stuff like that and i just oh my god i love it so much and i cannot wait for the next one y'all know the next one's coming oh out next year it's right next year, it's next year. yes oh my wait god another- for four or five years, but not next year. Yeah, exactly. I thought I was like, oh yeah, we're never gonna see this sequel again. It's next year. Okay, I feel better about that (laughs) cliffhanger now. Like I walked out thinking, oh, like we're gonna wait like three or four years for the next one. But is that next year? It's next year. I'm so excited. They have it planned for March Mm. next year. I'm gonna watch it. So uh, I (laughs) let's just do all watch it together. Yes. Yes. But, oh my gosh, I guess, any final thoughts y'all want to say? Hmm? Senya, Ethan, looking at both I think of you. I just wanted to mention how it's related to Asians. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean... Any, any sort of sharing of how, I guess, you related to that experience? Family drama. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's definitely the, like, immigrant family background that I really relate to like when they were doing the school like his what was it like his grades yeah grades interview report yeah. thing and they're like here's the story you, you grew up in like with like wait what did he say they like, were like like basically the guidance counselor was like Ooh, oh yes yeah. you're struggling like yeah. immigrant da, 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 da. and I was like damn bro how many like careers? and they were like we're, we're fine actually yeah they're we like we're actually a stable yeah. stable life here we've grown up here for a while and I was like damn it reminded me of every time I'm in like a when I was in school going to like careers counseling and they're like mm, yes so struggling here when you came in 2012 I was like um I came by plane but okay um but (laughs) but I think I think also it's like with immigrant parents it like with Miles he found it hard to tell them that oh he's like Spider-Man but it kind of relates to I guess other Asian kids can find it like hard like because I guess when you're at home you're like a different well for me anyways I'm like a different person when I act around my family and I could never act like to my friends like I act to my parents so it's like really hard for me to tell them about things in my life that I guess like I don't know how to explain but it's just like there's just things that I just can never tell them because they would never understand but then like of course like I still love them but it's it's like that immigrant I don't even know how to explain this yeah, I you know yeah no I I get it it's like that whole um like you can with your parents and stuff you like obviously it's still a part of yourself when you're like hanging out with them yeah. but then you obviously have like a whole different side to you mm. on the outside and stuff and I guess the struggle of like really I I, I don't know how to explain it as well because damn it feels like unpacking a bunch of unresolved trauma <laughs> um but. But no, I get it too. And I think, again, Miles' whole, like, experience with 
his family, even though it is on the scale of like him trying to reveal his identity to mm. his parents and stuff. I think that whole of like hiding something about yourself and not really like having your family know and stuff. I think that's for a lot of like immigrant uh, households and stuff. That's something mm. you can really relate to. And yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, any any I guess last remarks y'all want to say before we wrap wrap her up? I just love this movie so much. Oh my god! <laughs> I agree. Miguel's ass. I think the last thing I just wanted to mention was I suppose I touched it on in the spoiler free review is that idea of trying to find a place where you belong mm. and can be your whole self. I feel I think Miles's journey sort of reflects that, where you know coming into certain areas where as uh, um, immigrant you're sort of there's like some kind of idea of who you are and not really belonging in certain circles I feel that's sort of something that the movie explored pretty well that I've also experienced is that I feel that you know certain groups might not understand or there's like certain ways of doing doing things that I just don't feel much how I've grown up doing mm. it and yeah just sort of finding that balance of you know the kind of person I want to be to be able and try to be that in no matter what kind of circumstance I've been put in um and then also the I think relationship Miles has with his mom is very similar to what I have with my mom Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the whole spiel that Rio his his mother gave is something my mom would tell me (laughs) so yeah I just really love that kind of um that um family dynamic but also I guess Miles's personal journey in trying to find the place where he belongs and finding the person he um that I guess would or the the group that could accept him for who he is and just finding his own way of doing it that's unique to him to unique unique to the kind of spider-man he wants to be so yeah wow that was perfect like Everything that I tried to express, you just said it perfectly. <laughs> that was good. That was amazing. Oh, Zenya, as always, mm. perfect at <laughs> encapsulating yeah. our Stop thoughts. It. It. It just, it just, it's because she reads, guys. It's because she reads. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But oh, I guess those are all thoughts about this little old mo- movie. Mm. I can't wait for March, guys. Me it's going to be crazy. Oh, my gosh. Yo, 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 this is Asian Pop Nation on Sin. My name is Tracy, and the song that you've just heard is Fickle Minds by the Malaysian artist Lost Spaces. Before that, you heard two other very disco-y, groovy numbers from Kim Arum with Beautiful City, followed by the Thai artist Kiki with the song XOXO. And speaking of XO, the biggest breaking news in K-pop right now concerns three members of the boy group XO, namely Baekhyun, Hyomin, and Chen. As of two days ago, June 1st and 2nd, they are requesting to terminate their contracts with SM Entertainment on the grounds of SM basically committing several breaches of contract. The company hasn't been able to provide proof to them of how much money they have been earning through their entire contract period, essentially. And secondly, their contracts are unfair, slave contracts. They were also sort of forced to sign a renewal contract lasting five years, resulting in a total contract length of 17 to 18 years. Um, There's lots of quite unfair clauses in these contracts. I don't know if I want to get into it. 
Um, just a note that if you're not in the know, EXO were probably the biggest boy group in the K-pop industry between, I would say, like 2012 to like 2014 or 15. And Baekhyun and Chen and Min are pretty popular. They were part of their own subunit um, a few years ago called EXO-CBX. And Baekhyun in particular is SM's best-selling solo male artist in terms of physical sales. He has two mini albums that have sold over a million physical copies. And his EP Delight in 2020 was the first album by a solo artist to sell over a million copies in Korea since Kim Gunmo in 2001. So... It's kind of crazy that three members from an enormously successful group, including their most well-known and successful member, are suing SM, one of the biggest K-pop entertainment companies. Now, Leisha. Hi. Leisha's been quite affected by these news. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it's, it's like when you're like, I don't know, watching like the ABC or something, and then they're like, now we're going to cut to a distressed fan <laughs> on site, and Tracy's holding a mic next to me being like, so how do you feel about this look i'm i'm in shambles i think it is no surprise especially to tracy that i'm a big xol been since they debuted until now and i think from like a fan's perspective they have been planning and have been hinting this entire year that they are planning a comeback so the fact that, A, Kai had an unexpected enlistment that happened, like, a month ago, and now, B, three members are now suing SF Entertainment, it is just like, wow, this comeback is cursed. We're not gonna get it. But I think that has been, like, cleared up now, because I think yesterday, EXO, I guess CBX is what we call them, their representative put up a statement that they still do plan to want to be active in EXO activities and stuff, even if they, like, terminate their contracts. They still want to be active with the group and stuff. So I'm like, yay! I think like a lot of EXO fans, Alicia's quite distressed because this is not the first time that three members of EXO have essentially sued to terminate their contracts. Yes. This is the second time that yes. three members of EXO have sued <laughs> to terminate their contracts. Um, Luhan, Tao and Chris, three of the Chinese members in EXO-M sued to terminate their contracts in 2014, which means that one half, six out of 12 of the original members of EXO have now taken legal action against SM. When you put it that way, girl, <laughs> it's so painful to think about. I'm like, wow, I lived through all of this. And that 2014 contract termination, the China Line exit was quite painful for the fans. It was really drawn out. There was a lot of like back and forth of media play. It was pretty painful. Mm-hmm. And I guess fans are worried that the same thing is going to happen again. And I guess the reason why so many EXO members in particular have sued SM is that they have probably one of the last contracts in the industry that are still under the sort of old slave contract that lasts for like 13 years. Because um, in 2009, three members of another very successful boy group, uh, TVXQ, also, also sued SM. <laughs> also, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jung, Yuchun and Junsu, they filed for temporary contract injunctions initially, and then SM was petty, and so it became permanent. And then they became blacklisted from Korean television screens until 2021. But basically... After that, I think the court ruled that K-pop contracts, like initial contracts, could only last seven years. Yeah. 
But EXO's contracts were drawn up pretty soon after that lawsuit with the TVXU members and SM managed to find a loophole where basically they count the seven years from the date of your debut, so not your training period, not from the day you signed the contract, but from the day of your debut, and then three extra years get added on um, if you go overseas for promotions. And obviously, all K-pop artists under SM go overseas for promotions, so that's like automatically 10 years. Um, and so that's the contract that EXO members were under. So yeah, that's some background about SM being sued by their artists. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is not their first rodeo, basically. Yes. And unfortunately, it feels like it might not be their last. Yes. Ooh. Look, when the news initially came out, I saw so many people have a lot of, like, discourse. Basically, they were worried that what happened with JYJ and TVXQ, like, that was going to happen with EXO as well. They were in fear that, like, those members that are suing SM, they might end up getting blacklisted. But people are like, EXO, they've been in the industry for so long Mm. and been, like, a pivotal... The member, their names and everything, they have been such, like, a prevalent presence, yeah, in the K-pop industry that if SM even tried to do that, it would not fly. And I'm upset about it purely because apparently they mentioned that this has been like an ongoing thing for a while now. They've been asking about like numbers in relation to like their salary and stuff since like the start of their careers until now. And this is just like, I guess, in that final straw era, right when they're about to be prepping for their comeback. So it is just layers upon layers of just like not great stuff and not great timing (laughs) at all and obviously from a fan i want the three members to get what they rightfully deserve but damn like for all of this to come out now it Mm -hmm. is so like and also really terrible considering xscbx has this japanese song called kaching where the whole time in the lyrics they're singing about like them being on a payroll and they got they got money and everyone is like now, the irony of this song is that these three guys have not been getting paid fairly this entire time. So, yeah. I'm emo. I've just been listening to EXO songs on repeat, even though I know Fair. they will still have a comeback. But it's just, it's hard when you know, like, ooh, they're working very hard into this comeback, but they're mm-hmm. also going through all this terrible behind things the behind the scenes. So They must be so professional right now. Um, they did mention in their, like, original letter that they were sort of doing this on behalf of the other SM artists as well, because they felt like they probably had, like, power. Yes. And some sort of mm-hmm. ability to do so, whereas like more junior people wouldn't be able to do that. Obviously, I mentioned before, Beckyun enormously successful. I don't think he'd be able to be successfully blacklisted. But then again, when TVXQ filed for that injunction, um, Jaejong, Gucheon, and Junsu were like three of the most popular members of the group. Yes, and they still got blacklisted. Yeah, but also. Like, SM right now is in really massive situation. Like, they don't have the control over the industry like they once had. And also the industry is not as, I guess, concentrated in terms of where people get exposed to K-pop. A lot of it happens now, like, on YouTube. And SM can't, like, stop people from putting back here on, on YouTube shows. So I think they're in a better situation than TVXU were. Also, the money issues you mentioned is a running theme throughout all of these contract disputes that SM has had. SM's first generation boy group, HOT, um, probably one of the most like representative first generation K-pop groups, they disbanded after five years in 2001, sort of at the peak of their popularity, because SM wouldn't pay them enough. Um, they only paid the members about 10k. $10,000 per million albums sold, which is not a lot. Um, TVXQ, 
at the peak of their commercial popularity, were also getting about 152,000 USD a year per member, which is less than, you know, what a software developer gets oh <laughs> in God. the US. So, yeah, that's not great. Um, in terms of this current case, though, it's pretty interesting to follow the ongoing developments because SM has made some really strange statements. Um, the first one that they came out with after CBX announced their intention to file to end their contracts, I'm going to just quote it word for word. We have detected an external influence committing illegal acts by using false rumours, slander and flattery to lure artists into making misjudgments and violating their exclusive contracts. This attempt cannot be tolerated as it fundamentally destroys the trust of fans and it is an illegal act that cannot be excused for the sound future of the entire K-pop industry. So that's kind of insane. This entire letter um, talking about this external force influencing the artists as if their artists can't make their own decisions and do things of their own volition and free will. Um, they also later revealed that this external force referred to this other record label, Big Planet Made, who has managed to scoop up a lot of very prominent artists in the past couple of years. And Big Planet Made, in response, basically um, released a counter statement saying, uh, we don't know what's going on. Um, please stop mentioning us or we will sue. So that's pretty funny to me. But yeah, this case is definitely going to get a lot more messier from here. I think it will be really interesting to see what this EXO comeback looks like, what the promotions yes. look like, <laughs> even if like if they happen at all. I think it's going to be a lot of mudslinging um, probably from both sides based on past SM cases. And a lot of damage control. Get ready to see other SM artists <laughs> have a bunch of comebacks out of nowhere. This is what oh, SM yeah. loves to do anytime. But Damn, Tracy, thank you for spilling all the beads basically about this whole thing. I have come down more educated. Still in pain, but educated. Yes. Um, and if you feel educated, if you want us to keep on talking, bringing the latest K-pop news to you at Asian Pop Nation, um, Sin is running a radio phone right now where we're basically trying to raise funds to keep Sin on air because radio, as you know, is um, not a super profitable uh, enterprise. So if you want to donate, donate now at sin.org.au forward slash donate. That's syn.org.au forward slash donate. So the next song we're going to play is Messed Up by Korean artist Jod. I think very fitting for this segment because SM definitely messed up with this one. Hey guys, welcome back to Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Kalam, which is called translated to Season by Prit and Delish Shelva. And before that, you guys heard Make You Mine by Mirani. And even more before that, you guys heard Messed Up by Jod. So, uh, me and Zenya, we like reading books, um, unlike some of the rest of APN here. Um, (laughs) But we are educated and we like reading books. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Says the manga reader as well. Damn. (laughs) And uh, we, well, we represent a lot of Asian people on this show, from Asian artists to um, comedians to, who else have we, we, we've done authors before, right? Actually, yeah, we've done authors before. So, I thought that this would be a good opportunity for us to cover some books by Asian Australian authors or books that basically just have things to do with Asian folklore and stories. I have a couple of, I guess I'll introduce them as authors first, and then I'll introduce some of the books that they have written and I have read. 
Um, the first author is Vanessa Len, and she is an Asian Australian author who is based actually in Melbourne.、Ooh. And we, I mean, recently I borrowed one of her books from a friend to read, and that book is called Only a Monster. Now it's a bit of a reversal on the usual hero and villain trend. Where the main character isn't the hero, it, they are actually part of the villain side of the story. So the main question that this book asks you is, what happens when you find out that your entire family were not heroes but the monsters? So Joanne Chang Hunt is the main character, and she has to answer that question when she finds out that her family has the terrifying power to steal time from others, and that's where the story begins. Um, it it deals with a lot of time travel in a very interesting way, I guess, and it explains things in a way that、um, it's not confusing. Like if you're not really into like the super in depth time travel theories and all that kind of thing, it doesn't make it too overly complicated so that you couldn't can't understand it. And it was actually pretty understandable in that regard.、Um, Yeah, I'd say overall this book is pretty solid, and there is a sequel coming out, guys. Cough, cough. Later on in the year. <gasps> yeah.、Um, the only the only I I would say the only downside of the book itself was I felt that the ending was a little bit sudden, and that's the only thing about it. But since there's a sequel coming out, I'm going to hold on hope that that's because there is a sequel, and there's a lot more unexplained things that they're gonna cover in the sequel. Yay. Um, another book I also want to cover, which is also by an Asian Australian author, called Shelley Parker Chang, and、um, they wrote this book called She Who Became the Sun.、Um, now, usually I'm not much, in, not very much into like political and like wartime stories because、uh, I can't deal with the politics. They get too complicated, and I can't remember what is what. But I have been.、Uh, This this book has a chokehold on me right now. I haven't finished it. I'm almost done, and I know that something some bad things are about to happen. So, <laughs> but basically, the premise of this story is that there are two children in a famine-stricken village with two opposite fates. So this future predicting person <laughs> basically predicted the future of this boy and this girl, and he, he predicted that for the boy he'll obtain greatness, and for the girl she will. End up being nothing. What?、Whoa. Yeah, yeah. It's some,、um, it's some、um, gender stuff. Apian disapproves. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's a twist.、Um, but the boy ends up dying <gasps> before his time, and then the girl decides to steal her brother's fate of being great, and then she goes on this journey with lots of wars, of war, and politics to then claim her brother's destiny as her own. Yeah, we got some. <laughs> Oh my god, feminism、yeah. at its finest. Slay era. Slay. Yeah, she's very slay. The main character is very slay, and um, yeah, I'm not finished with it. I don't want to be finished with it, but I am very much invested. And the storyline is pretty well explained. Like, like I said, I, I'm usually not into politics because it just gets so complicated, and like, there's so many names and like. Like there's people that are on this side, of, this side of this person, and that it gets really complicated. But in this case, it's actually pretty easy to understand, and I was able to be focused throughout. So I'm looking forward to finishing that. I can't say I can do a complete review on it because I haven't finished it. But yeah, fun.、Um, I'm gonna throw over to Zenia because that's about the extent of what I wanted to talk about. Ah,、uh, my books. 
Now, I bought two. I like they're good for the I suppose growing up. I didn't really read many stories from an Asian perspective. A lot of the books I read that were fantasy were I guess Lord of the Rings esque style. There was elves, there was dwarves, you know, that kind of Game of Thrones esque fantasy. So um reading Heart of the Sun Warrior by uh, Su Lin Tan was quite a refreshing take. This time set in the Celestial Kingdom, sort of central to Chinese mythology. So it's about oh not sorry, Heart of the Sun Warrior is a sequel. The first one is daughter of the moon goddess because it follows sort of an extension of the tale of the moon goddess yeah like the the husband was an archer and he defeated these i don't know like these phoenixes or these firebirds and as a gift the celestial emperor gave him uh, a vial of immortality um and what happened was his wife actually drank it. No one really knows why, whether it was because a friend of his was trying to take it from them. And so she drank it so he couldn't steal it or she was just being greedy. Um, but in this story, the reason why she drank it was because she was pregnant and there was no way for the baby to survive. So she decides to drink it and becomes entrapped on the moon um, and has to raise her daughter on her own. And her daughter eventually, you know, like most fantasy stories, there's some reason she's special and she has to flee um, the moon because um, like a power is awakening from inside her that some of the members of the Celestial Kingdom have realized. And so she decides to go on a quest to free her mother from the moon uh, and try and win her uh, her freedom. So, yeah, it's interesting. Everyone has really long hair in the book, and that's also kind of different. Um, so, yeah, that, it was just a nice take on me having read a lot of you know, Percy Jackson, Heroes of Olympus, something of a different take to what I read growing up. And then the other book I was thinking of, which is a bit more edgy, less fantasy, um, more historical fiction is These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. Um, again, it's also a two-part series. So I read the first one, haven't read the second one yet, but um, it's set in 1920s Shanghai. Um, and it's like a, a retelling of the Romeo and Juliet story, but between two gangs, Juliet Chai, which is, who is the, I guess, part of the Capulets, and then Roma Montecom. <laughs> who is like, uh, I think he's Russian, his family's Russian, um, and they're sort of feuding between each other um, to gain territory in Shanghai. And there's also a monster that's kind of destroying everything, and they need to find out who is causing that or, who, or what the monster is. Um, yeah, so it's like a, a cool take on this story and makes it a lot more focused on Shanghai and the city. Um, yeah, so those are the the two books I'd recommend when I'm not reading manga, I'm reading <laughs> these. <laughs> <laughs> cute, 
keep telling me more because I, I, I think the rest of us here fall guilty in terms of people who don't read books. Like we have books that we want to read, but mm-hmm. they're collecting dust in a shelf somewhere yep. very far. I'm sorry to those books, but it's me. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we've got Jesse and Zenia over here giving us the. Giving us the book rep that we've been waiting for here on APN. Very <laughs> so, much needed. Very so much. thanks, ladies, <laughs> for your hard work. <laughs> so uh, if you guys have any um, books that you've been reading, and specifically books by Asian Australian authors or inspired by Asian folklore and slash legends, please let us know on Asian Pop Nation across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And coming up, we will of course be playing some more songs. Starting off with "More Than Friends" by Charles. You just listened to "Desire" by Reality Club, and before that, "More Than Friends" by Charles, and setting up the phone call by Meza Luna. So, since we are in studio today, just before we came into studio, I handed out everyone different snacks. You guys want to tell me what it was? <laughs> is this a test? Is this is this actually yes. why you want to give us snacks? Uh, so there was uh, white rabbit candy. Yes. So. This is my pretty much my childhood candy that I used to have all the time, even though my mom wouldn't let me.、Um, which is like this creamy milk candy.、Um, it's really sweet and chewy, but this also made me think of like what other Asian snacks did everyone have in their childhood that they remember? I mean, why? Lee might hate me for this specifically because again, she was handing out white rabbits、mm-hmm. earlier outside, but I actually did not grow up eating white rabbits at all. Yes, it was just she was just not part of my childhood at <laughs> all. For me, I was more of like muruku type of girl when I was growing up. Basically, like every time I go to my grandparents' place, they've always had. I think if you go to any Asian like grandparents' house, they just have Tupperwares with like a red cap on, and it's just miscellaneous snacks there. And one of it was buruku, which is like a Tamil like snack specifically. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a little, a little biscuit. It's just a bit more on the savory side, but I love it so much. And my grandma used to bake it fresh. So oh my god. Um, but what other snacks do you guys? I don't know. Have a very like fond memory of specifically. I'm looking at everyone else in the table. I used to eat a lot of these um rice cracker things. They were called wang wang shenbing or something, something like that. But they were very addictive, and once you Started, you could not stop.、Facts. Like、yep. you, they you could get get these like really big packets of them, and whenever my parents would get one of those, it's like within maybe a couple of days they would be like gone, and then they would be like, why? How did you eat it so fast? And I'm like, yeah, that that was that. Um, did you ever try to like shove the whole thing in your mouth? Girl, what? <laughs> Because no, it, yeah, it's、like, no. perfectly oval shape,、mm. and you just no, I I had a. I don't. I didn't want to choke as a child. <laughs> right. Right. I, no. I don't know if it's like a snack, but I remember like a fond memory was.、Um, this might sound weird, but my grandfather had like a bag of like Milo cereal, <gasps> and like he would just hand it to us on like, like random times, and I'm like, I didn't know what it was back then because my parents weren't like. Oh, like they didn't feed us like cereal because of like high sugar and stuff like、mm. that. So like, we knew cereal, but we didn't consume them on a regular basis. So like, when we went overseas, my grandfather had like a bag of like Milo. Back then, I didn't know what the heck it was. I was like, "What is this like marvelous creation?" <laughs> Years later, I realized it was like Milo cereal, and、um, that's like the one like 
memory that I keep close to my heart since my grandfather's not with us yeah. with oh. my family right that's now. So, so it's like that's, really that's sweet yeah. though. That's really cute. Well, w grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I get you though. Like Marley cereal is really sweet. Yeah. It's like crazy sweet. Yeah. It, it basically is like a snack. A snack. No, yeah. I, I would count it as well. I think growing up, my like sisters and stuff would just buy like tiny boxes of cereal as like just a snacking option. And when I went back to Malaysia most recently, that was all I was snacking on. Um, so no, totally. I count it as a snack, Taruki. So yeah. <laughs> what y'all thinking in your heads? Do you guys uh, ever have like? The Yan Yan, Hello Panda, Pocky. Yes. They're like, yeah, the like trio. They're so classic. They kind of mm. almost become like an aesthetic on its own. Every time I go mm. online, there's like little, oh yes, Hello Panda, pink packaging. Yep. I, I don't know how to explain For it. For listeners that don't know, it's pretty much like a milk biscuit with cream or like chocolate, different flavors. Yeah, good stuff. They're like in every single Asian supermarket. They yeah. are. I kind of find Hello Panda a bit overrated, but I don't... I don't want to get like. What's everyone's favorite flavor? I oh. honestly like chocolate. I'm a chocolate gal. You, you guys like have mango flavored po- pocky? What? Mango what? flavored go. Sorry, I saw it at the what? Monash, the Monash grocery place. <gasps> anyway, Did you try was, it? Yeah, it was okay. It just tasted like mango coffee. Like it was fine. I mean, all three. I don't feel like I get like a taste. I don't. They don't blow my mind, so I'm not really fussy about what flavors I get. I mean, it is just like chocolate biscuit yeah. at you the just end of the eat day. It because you're hungry and you're like, oh, this sets off my will satiate my hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but for me, I, I felt like whenever I went back to China and we would have snacks that weren't like fruit, it would be, they call them whole flakes or whole yes. flakes. Yes. I love that. They're basically, I don't know how, like they, they're packaged in a very specific way. It's like, if you, they're kind of like, um, I don't know, they look like, pe- like chunky pencils or something. Like they look like these <laughs> long cylinders. And then you like take off the wrapping and it's like these little like, um, slices like of discs. like yeah, yeah discs of like dried hawthorn and they're like perfectly like sweet and slightly sour sort of tangy and they like a little crunchy mm. and they're very nice and they're just good because then like you can eat like a whole thing of them and not feel like you're gonna die of thirst yeah it's like pringles if they were much smaller and also flat discs mm. like that sort of packaging that's concept sweet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was like, the flavor. I was like, Pringles are they, not they what taste, I come out. They don't oh taste God. like that, but they're packaged like that. Yes. Like, they're just, they're just very compact. To <laughs> 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 this day, I still don't know how to, like, describe the, like, taste of Hall Flick specifically to people who've never had it. I just feel like she's so unique, you know? Mm. Uh, yeah. Just try it. It's sweet and it's, it's good. Tangy. Oh, tangy. Yes, mm. sweet, tangy. It's like, like... A dried fl- a fruit. It's healthy. Yeah. It's healthy. It's healthy. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. See, we're like little Gordon Ramsay moment. Us, like, ooh, sweet. It's tangy. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but any other snacks y'all I... wanted to give a mini shout out for? I think I have like another snack yes. from um, when I went back to Sri Lanka. My parents would buy us like. I don't know what it was called, but it was like from the translation, I think it's like milk biscuit um, in like a blue packaging and it tastes really um, creamy. Like, I don't know if you can call it biscuit creamy, but like really milky taste and like it's really addicting. So like you could have like a small like, you know, like the Ritz packets like mm. the silver ones like it's like that size and you could eat like one after another you could finish an entire packet within like one sitting and it's like so addicting you know how like some um biscuits they have like this 
salt sprinkled onto it. It's like yeah. fat. And then like at the same time it has like the creamy milky taste and it's like that's also another like nostalgic biscuit that we had when we were younger. But my parents don't buy it up, buy it for us anymore because it's like way too sweet. And like my parents <laughs> are like, your teeth are going to fall out. And I'm like, it's not going to fall out if we have it only once in like every oh. couple of years. You're not going to have it only once every couple of years. <laughs> once you get one sweet bite, you're going to be on that yeah. <laughs> breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, when you talk about blue packaging, it reminded me of. Did anyone else have those? Like, are they Danish cookies? They're just like. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, and they come in like the the um, metal tin. Yeah. yeah, it's a little blue tin, yeah, and then yeah. it gets the packaging gets replaced. <laughs> That's like putting miscellaneous yeah. stuff. Like and my mum uses that to like store sewing stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. When you open it and it's actual biscuits and not yeah. sewing. I'm like, sure. what? <laughs> Insane. Why is that a thing? Just why is a core memory? Yeah, yeah why is it? <laughs> they were just nice tins, I guess. Mm. So, if you have any uh, Asian snacks from your childhood that you want us to try, let us know via our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation Sin. And the next song is "You Stay on My Mind" by J and R. Hello, hello, dear listeners. Whether you are tuning in live on air or you're tuning in on our podcast, welcome aboard to the Asian Pop Nation train here on Sin. My name is Lisha, not the EP of APN, but uh, my dear, dear EP Jesse has passed the baton for me to uh, signal the end of this episode. And before we talk more about what we kind of delve into this episode, obviously we want to talk about the songs that we played just now. Firstly, we played the song titled Buddha, which comes from the Japanese artist Haruno, and this comes from the album titled The Lover. But before that, we also played the song titled You Stay On My Mind by JNR, and we played the song titled Please Die, which comes from the Japanese artist Galileo Galilei, and this comes from their new album titled Bee and the Whales. And if you have been tuning into our very, very extensive episode here on APN, you would have definitely heard a a lot of me talking about Trigon, the anime, but also us, you know, fangirling, fanboying a bit over Spider-Man into, not into the Spider-Verse, across the Spider-Verse. And we also talked a lot about some drama happening over in SM Entertainment in regards to XOCBX specifically. We also had a fun little segment brought to you by Jesse and Xenia specifically where they talked about some Asian books or just books in general that deal with like Asian folklore specifically. And our team just wanted to have a fun little chit-chat as well about some childhood Asian snacks. And, of course, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in and listening to our show here on APN. You are not only joined by me, Leisha, but our dear EP, Jesse, and our team members, Lee, Ethan, Tracy, Xenia, and Taruki on this episode. And before we end the night, I, of course, need to let you guys know for one last time tonight about Sin, our very special... um, organization that we are all very blessed to be a part of are running a radiothon pay for your sins and you know if you have a (laughs) and if you want to you know donate over to us you can on sin.org.au forward slash donate that is syn.org.au forward slash donate and we again 
as I mentioned before, Sin has just been an amazing community to be able to broadcast a little show like us here on Sin. So why not show a little bit of support as well, not just for the APN group, but for a whole collective celebrating youth media organized like youth media voices then donating over to a little less here but on that note thank you so much for listening to asia foundation here on sin we are going to be ending the night with a wonderful little track that comes from the korean female artist Dohi with her song titled hummingbird which comes from her little ep titled kokopora and once again thank you so much for listening to asia foundation on sin and thanks jesse for letting me i guess do a little outro like the past ep i was oh this is very scary <laughs>